pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. service they have right before Christmas. Hallelujah. Yes, you guys are dismissed. Children, Judah, or uh, Amplified is dismissed. So I'm going to preach from it this morning as well, maybe from a different point of view. I want to look at it from the point of view of some lonely shepherds that were out in the field working the night shift when the announcement was made to them. I think we'll find it interesting, but in Luke chapter two, verse eight, we'll start reading there through the 20th verse. It said, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. They actually lived in the field. That's what it means by abiding in the field. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. That was some pretty good news they got that night, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, it's during this time of year, the Christmas season, it's so easy to forget what's really important and forget the real reason for the season and the reason we're celebrating. You know, there's decorations to be put up and trees to be decorated and parties to attend and family gatherings and shopping and shopping and shopping and all the stress that goes with these things. You know, that credit card that seems to be smoking because of the friction you put on it this time of the year. 
And it's easy to get our priorities mixed up and lose sight of the real reason for this season. And we allow the true meaning of Christmas to get lost. And we begin to think that Christmas is about the presents and all the different things that I just mentioned. But the truth is, the true meaning of Christmas is not found in any of these things, none of these activities. And you know who really understood the true meaning of Christmas? I hate to say it, but better than a lot of Christians is little old Charlie Brown. I remember the classic Christmas program, Charlie Brown Christmas, and he has Charlie Brown Halloween, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. But our kids watch those uh, episodes every year, especially at this time, they watch, you know, the Charlie Brown Christmas, and right before that, the Thanksgiving, and they loved it. But they don't broadcast it anymore, at least not on network TV. I couldn't find it anywhere in the listings, and I know uh, a while back, the cancel culture people declared Charlie Brown and his little friends to be racist, so I'm not sure if that's the reason they're not on network TV anymore, but anyway, little old Charlie Brown has to buy, has to get a Christmas tree for the, the Gaines Christmas program, and so he goes out and he picks out this lonely, little old scraggly, bent-over tree, and he brings it back. And everyone mocks him for picking out this scraggly little bent over tree. And uh, the needles <laughs> keep falling off of it and everything. And so it really depresses little Charlie Brown. So he's in deep despair and he's, in, he's all twitterbated. And so he makes this, the statement that he doesn't even know what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. And it is then that his friend Linus enlightens him and basically tells him the thing, same thing I just told you, the Christmas story. And little Linus somehow understood the true meaning of Christmas. He knew it was all about the true gift of Christmas, the first gift of Christmas, which was God coming to the earth to be with us. And it's about God coming to save us and touch us with his love and Linus knew that Christmas wasn't about trees or presents or the wrappings that the presents were in. He knew it was all about the gift. So the message of Christ's birth was announced to some lowly shepherds during the darkest part of the night as they kept watch over their flocks or were sleeping or whatever they do in the middle of the night. I imagine they slept because if uh, a thief or a wolf came in or something like that, they would be awakened by the commotion that the, the sheep would cause but anyway verse 9 tells us the glory of the Lord shone round about them terrifying them and that's unusual because these shepherds were no panty waste people they I mean uh, it took a lot to scare them but yet here the Bible says they were terrified terrified of what they saw and, and it was the glory that shone round about them, and I looked that up, and most of the commentators say it's the same word that was used in the Old Testament for the Shekinah glory of, of God, the Shekinah glory. And uh, with the Shekinah glory, anytime the Shekinah glory showed up, God was in the midst of it. He was right there in the midst of it. And so this is what they're seeing. They're seeing God in a glory cloud and an angel speaking to them. And if they were sleeping, they're wide awake now. 
And you know, it's the same, the same Shekinah glory that appeared on Mount Sinai when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. It says the glory of the Lord, and it was described as a devouring fire on top of the mountain. It had to be an amazing sight. Isaiah the prophet seen the Shekinah glory, and in it he saw the Lord sitting upon his throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood seraphims. These were awesome beasts, sometimes called the guardians of the throne. And I don't know why God would need a guardian around his throne, but anyway, this is what they do. Day and night, they fly around that throne and they proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the God of glory. So uh, they seen them probably. And it also appeared in 1 Kings chapter 8, as the priests come out of the holy place, the Bible says, then a cloud filled the temple. And the, the cloud was so heavy, it was the Shekinah glory cloud, it was so heavy that uh, it, it, they either were slain in the spirit or they laid down on the, on the ground and they couldn't even minister because of the cloud, the Bible says. So this has to be an awesome thing. So I can understand why the shepherds would be terrified. I'd be terrified too. The glory of the Lord is, is a terrifying sight to behold, especially in the middle of the night. And, and, and the main reason is because God himself was in the midst of that cloud. So that's why the angel of the Lord told them to fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings, or I bring you good news with great joy. And the good news was uh, the fact that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So that was the greatest news that ever came to the planet Earth. No other, no other news was that great past, present, or future, you will never hear better news than God himself coming to this earth to dwell with man. And, and uh, you know, the good thing concerns a person and a personal relationship. I mean, they had plenty of religion, but they didn't really have personal relationships with the God of the universe. They didn't have a personal relationship with the God that they served. But here, he come as a person, not only as a person, but if I can say it this way, a very personable person. Because he wanted not just to be worshipped through vain religion, he wanted to be, uh, to have a relationship with his creation. He wanted dialogue, not monologue. He wanted to communicate with us. He wanted us to communicate with him. He not only wanted us to love him, but he wants to love us back. And he wants us to feel and see that love and the only way that we could do that is if he came here and demonstrated it for us himself Amen. so it's a gift but it's not some religion wrapped in creeds and doctrines and confessions and do's and don'ts and laws and bylaws and all these outward forms and the shepherds must have expressed some doubt because the angel reassured them with a sign he told them in verse 12, he said, this will be a sign to you. In other words, you know, they're like, you know, how do we know? What's going on here? And, and so he says, I'll give you a sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And, you know, the social status of a child or the rank of a child was indicated 
by the splendor and the costliness of the cloths that he was wrapped in at birth. Fine shawls and expensive scarves were used by the rich and just common cloth by the poor, sometimes just rags because if, their cloth, if they had any cloth that was worthy, they made clothes out of it. And so uh, religion identif identifies the worthiness of the gift by what it's surrounded by. Uh, in other words, the wrapping. But that never determines how great the gift is. I mean, that's why you have elaborate temples and churches. And, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Ed and I were over in, in Europe and we toured some of these churches. Pat White, you've probably seen them too. They, I mean, some of them had gold-plated railings that went up to the podium where the uh, minister would give his sermon on Sunday morning or whatever, and they had elaborate statues and gold uh, uh, images and things like that. Very expensive, very extravagant artwork on the ceilings, you know, like the Sistine Chapel, you know. That's the wrapping for a great religion, but not for the gift that was given. So Jesus was basically wrapped in rags. They wrapped them in whatever they could find, and uh, a pretty humble beginning for the king of glory. But he's no longer a babe that's wrapped in a swaddling cloth in a manger anymore. And I know that a lot of religions would like to keep him there because he's much easier to control being all wrapped up. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but when they wrapped a baby in swaddling clothes uh, or cloths, a newborn, they would wrap him like a mummy, but he would be completely wrapped, his hands at his side, his legs, and he'd be wrapped all the way over the head, and the only thing he'd be shown is his, is his eyes. That's how they wrapped the child. So the child basically couldn't move. I don't know the purpose of it. I know they do that now with these, yeah. I forget what they call them, but I guess it, yeah, it gives the, the baby comfort or uh, makes him feel like he's still in the womb or whatever it is, but that's how they would wrap him. So, uh, you know, the baby couldn't hardly move. And that's kind of how some religions would like it to be. But Philippians chapter 2 tells us he's been highly exalted and given a name that is above every name. And that at that name, every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's not a babe in the manger. He's not hanging on a cross anymore. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that God the Father set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. But, uh, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He's in charge of everything especially the church. That's who he gave his life for, was the church, yes. for us. And he said that uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Amen. Amen. It may look now like uh, certain things are prevailing against the church, but it's only temporary. They will not prevail in the end. The church will be victorious in the end. Amen. And in Revelation chapter 1, I love this. John the Revelator described him as being clothed now, not in swaddling cloth, but with a garment down to the foot 
and gird about the breast or the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair as white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice is as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength. That doesn't sound like a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. It doesn't sound like a crucified Savior still hanging on the cross. He's in glory now. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No longer a babe. No longer on the cross. And like I said, religion in the world would like to keep him wrapped up. That's one gift that they regretted ever opening. They'd like to keep him on the cross. Because off the cross, he's a threat to all religions. He's a threat to the world. Hallelujah. They don't want to see that same Christ and King that John the Revelator saw. Verse 13 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, I'll tell you what they said in a minute, but it wasn't just the angel of the Lord making an announcement. He was accompanied by God in the midst of that Shekinah glory cloud and a heavenly host. I don't know what a heavenly host includes, but it's multitudes and multitudes of angels. He was accompanied by them. And it really makes sense if you think about it. I don't think God would allow an angel to announce the birth of his son without him being present. Right. Amen. Amen. I would. If I was going to give out that kind of news, it would be personally from me. Hallelujah. But here's what they were saying. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. We have the favor of God resting upon us. And mankind, with the help of religion, killed the Prince of Peace, the Apostle Paul said. And the world has been struggling to find peace ever since. And they will not find true everlasting peace. At least not until Jesus returns and he restores peace to the earth as the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. But God's children can have that peace that passes all understanding any time, any day that they want it. It's available to God's children. But it's not available to the world. The world don't understand that kind of peace. That's why he said it's a peace that passes all understanding. We can't understand that peace. You know, when the world is, is being sent to hell in a handbasket and everything is turned upside down and the chaos that's in the world and the chaos that we're seeing even in this country, and somebody looks at you and sees peace, they don't understand that kind of peace. Right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The angels proclaim goodwill toward men. And no matter what you've been told, what you've been taught by Sunday school teachers or religion or anything else, that was always God's intention. He never willed anything less than goodwill and peace towards men. He's always willed that. That's his will. And the Bible says, when the angels had left them 
and gone into heaven, left them the shepherds, and gone back into heaven, the shepherds went to see the child and found him just like the angel said. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. I mean, after they seen this great wonder, I guess they become evangelists. I don't know where they went or who they told, but they told everybody they came in contact with. Amen. It's like the woman at the well. She become an evangelist. And, and I mean, when you get this kind of good news, you want to share it. But you have to be careful who you share it with sometimes. I, I remember when I got born again for the first time. I've been a Catholic for a number of years, but I was never really born again. And when I knelt down and said that so-called sinner's prayer and I felt my life changed, I felt my soul enlightened, I felt my spirit enlightened, I knew something changed on the inside of me. It was good news to me. And I wanted to share that news with everybody. But I'm telling you, some of the people I shared it with almost caused me to backslide. Amen. Some people can't appreciate that kind of good news. But anyway, the shepherds went about telling everybody what they said. They were spreading the word concerning this. And then the Bible says the shepherds returned to the field glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. You know, it's one thing to read the word, the logos, but it's another thing when you get a rhema from the word, a revelation that lights your soul up, you can't hardly contain that. It's, it's a word that you received, a revelation for that you want to share with people, but a lot of people aren't going to be where you're at. It took years for you to get that revelation. It took years for you to understand that logos and turn it into a rhema. But once it did, you could hardly contain yourself. So don't be surprised when people don't understand the way that you feel about certain things. They're not there yet. But love them anyway. Amen? Amen. But I want to spend a few minutes looking at the shepherd's role in this part of the Christmas story. Because it was a pretty significant role. You know, shepherds of the day were considered to be an insignificant part of that day's culture. They just weren't important. And they were a forgotten group of people with no status in society. I mean, they lived, they abided in the, in the field. They lived in the fields. And their sole job and sole purpose was to take care of those sheep. They were uneducated, they were poor, they kind of smell bad, and they were considered low class. And being a shepherd was really a dead-end job. There was no room for advancement. There was no promotions. There was no raises or anything like that. They started out as young boys and were pretty much destined to be shepherds for the rest of their lives. And because they didn't have a social life, uh, they just didn't meet girls and they didn't marry off too often. And besides that, if they did meet a girl outside of the shepherd's uh, lifestyle and, dom and domain, uh, the father would object to it because no father wanted his daughter to marry a shepherd that wasn't going anywhere. Right. And so they had a hard time uh, socializing. And uh, there were people that were considered outcasts. Like, almost like lepers. They were outcasts. They were considered misfits. 
They had a hard, thankless, dangerous job, and it was their responsibility and only responsibility was to care for the sheep, protect them from robbers, and protect them from wild animals. You know, I said wolf, but it could be a wolf, could be a lion, could be a bear, could be any number of wild animals. And I guess that's about the only excitement a shepherd had is when they had to chase a robber or chase a wild animal away. But in the big scheme of things, they were just not considered very important. And as far as spiritual matters, they were considered unclean. I mean, they didn't go to synagogue or church or temple or anything like that. And, and because of that, the religious leaders wouldn't even allow them to participate in the feast or the holidays that they participated in. Again, that's religion for you. And you know, uh, as far as society mattered, they were infamous for thievery. They were, I guess they were pretty good thieves if they ever did get into town, I don't know. But So because of that, they didn't have a voice in politics and they weren't permitted to give testimony in legal proceedings. And the reason I say that is because today we would call them convicted felons. They can't vote, they can't have anything, they can't be Boy Scout leaders or anything like that, you know, they're just ostracized. And so loneliness and weariness and boredom is what characterized the life of a shepherd. But when it came to the announcement of the Savior's birth, and this is public, uh, this has puzzled religious leaders for centuries. God tells them shepherds first. God announces the most important news that the earth would ever receive, and he announces it to them lowly shepherds working the night shift. Did you ever wonder why? I mean, who would you have told first? Let's be honest. After all, this was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This is the announcement of the Savior coming into the world, taking on flesh and becoming man, the Word being made flesh. Yes. Who would you tell first? The greatest birth, past, present, and future that would ever hit this earth. So if it were your choice, who would you choose first? I'll tell you who I'd choose. If you're a Christian, you probably... Pick one of the, I say religious leaders, but I mean, you know, not in the sense of religion, but one of the religious leaders uh, of the day. Uh, if you're charismatic like us, I'd probably tell a celebrity preacher, maybe like Kenneth E. Hagin, Pastor Kenneth Hagin out there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or maybe I'd tell uh, Kenneth Copeland or if I couldn't get a hold of them, I might even tell Billy Graham. I don't know. Or not Billy Graham, but uh, what the, the Graham boy. What did, Franklin. Franklin Graham. Yeah, I might even tell him. I don't know. He wouldn't be way up there on the top of my list, but I, I might tell him. So if uh, you're a Catholic, you'd probably tell the Pope. He'd be the first one to hear the news. If you're a Jew, you'd probably tell a Jewish rabbi, or you tell the head of the temple or the synagogue about it. But you sure wouldn't go out to a lonely field in the middle of the night and tell a bunch of shepherds. I know you wouldn't do that. And what if you're not religious? 
Well, then you'd probably call one of the networks, CNN, NBC, ABC. It would be hard for me to float through this one without saying something, but you'd probably, <laughs> you'd probably tell one of them and ask how much they pay for this news that you have. <laughs> or maybe you'd tell one of the military leaders, like General Miley. Or maybe a secular leader like Joe Biden himself. Maybe you tell Joe Biden. I don't know who you tell, but I know you wouldn't tell the shepherds. And this is my point. I don't think any of us would have thought to have made an announcement that important to a bunch of lowly, low-life shepherds in the field in the middle of the night. I don't think any of us would have. But here's the thing. If you remember your history, you'll remember that God chose a little old ruddy-looking 17-year-old shepherd boy to be the greatest king that Israel ever seen, past, present, and future, who was also in the lineage that brought Christ to the earth and made this event possible. Remember last week we talked about blind Bartimaeus, who did he call him? David, or, or Jesus, thou son of David. This is the David he was talking about, King David. Pretty important lineage, amen? But anyway, God intentionally chose those shepherds is my point. It wasn't by happenstance. It wasn't by accident. He intentionally chose the shepherds. It was even prophesied. And I don't think the shepherds were expecting it at all. After all, they were not a very spiritually minded bunch for the, some of the reasons I already told you about. But I know that it wasn't random. God purposely sent the angels to those shepherds, and he had a reason for it. And that night, the black sky just exploded with this brightness, the Shekinah glory. I mean, you talk about your pupils dilating. It probably took them a month to get their eyesight back. And... and uh, one minute they're asleep, the next minute this big explosion of light and this voice starts speaking to them. And uh, not only that, but not just, not just the angel, but a whole heavenly host. I mean, um, trying to be nice here. Uh, there's no way, there's no nice way of saying this, so I'm just going to skip it. <laughs> But he came at night because that's the best time for light to show is at night. You know, if it's during the day and the sun is out and the bright light comes, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But if it busts open a night, a pitch black night sky, that's a big deal. That would get anybody's attention. And, and uh, you know, that's when light is the most needed. You remember John, he proclaimed concerning the Lord, a light shone in darkness. He didn't say a light came in the light. He came in the darkness. That's where you need light. And so this is representative of that. And it's representative of the fact that God comes unto the common people for the same reason. Because they need light. They're in darkness. Amen. And God often chooses to do his greatest work through people or things that we normally think of as weak or unimportant. That's why we wouldn't have announced it to the shepherds. In other words, he doesn't use who we would use or who we think he should use. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways 
are not our ways. He just does things differently than we do. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 he says remember dear brothers and sisters that's you and I that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. In other words the world would have never called you. They didn't think you were so wise or so important. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. You know, when you get showed up, it's shameful in itself. But when you get showed up by somebody that you thought was foolish and stupid and didn't uh, come up to your standards, that's another type of shame. <laughs> And then in verse 28, it says, And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. He shames the powerful with the powerless. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. I'm not here because of me. You're not there because of you. You're not in the position you're in because of you. If you're in a position at all, it's because God placed you there. God called you to that position if you're in his will. Everybody is somebody of importance to God. He doesn't know any nobodies. And God wants everyone to hear the good news about his son, regardless of who you are, weak or strong, powerful or, or not powerful. He doesn't care what your status is. He doesn't, he's not concerned with that. And I believe if God were to have a party, the first names on this uh, invitation list would be nobodies. The unwise, the unnoble, the not so mighty, the weak, the despised, the shepherds of the world would be the ones on the top of his invitation list. Who'd be on the top of yours? Something exciting was finally happening to people that never had anything exciting happen to them, except for, like I said, chasing a robber or a wild animal. But it didn't compare to the excitement that they were feeling that night. These social misfits were the first to know and respond, and it wasn't by happenstance either. It was according to God's design and God's desire. God chose to connect with the social misfits of that day, those that were rejected. But the truth of the matter is that God hasn't changed. He continues to identify with the poor and the misfits. And thank God he reached out to this misfit, because that's exactly what I was. I was a misfit in the world. I might have thought I was doing all right. I might have even been doing all right. But I was a misfit just the same. He reached out to me. I was the foolish that he was talking about. He reached out to me. But you know what? God wants to reach out to rejects and misfits like me. That's why I reach out to you, bunch of misfits. <laughs> you know, when we reach out to the poor, the hungry, the homeless, the rejected, the misfits, 
we're actually reaching out to the Lord himself. How do you figure, Pastor? Matthew 25, 35 through 40. Jesus is talking. He says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones, the ones who think they're better, will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Everything's done in the first person here. Jesus is talking in the first person. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So when we reach out to the misfits and the rejects, the hungry, the poor, the sick, we're reaching out to the Lord. And the ones Jesus is talking about here, I think the most is the elderly, the poor, the sick, the outcasts, the homeless, the unappreciated, the addicts, the challenged, the battered wives and the neglected children. These are the ones that he's reaching out to. And these are the ones that can understand how the shepherds felt that night. You know. Uh, somebody is doing so well and they're you know they were born with a silver spoon in their cheek and as the saying goes and all these different things they can't understand what those shepherds were feeling they can't understand what the misfits and the rejects and and, and those that are feeling unless they walk through it themselves usually you have to have a compassion for somebody that you're going to minister to and usually that compassion comes from having you haven't been through it yourself you know the best person that could minister to a drug addict is a reformed drug addict. The best way to minister to an alcoholic is having you haven't been an alcoholic yourself. Why? Because you can be touched by what they're going through. You've been there. Jesus is a savior. He's a God that can be touched by our infirmities. Why? Because he went through everything that you and I went through. He knows what it's like to be where you're sitting. He's been through everything you've ever been through, will ever go through, and, and even then some. So when he looks at you, he reaches out to touch you, it's from compassion because he's been there. He knows. Hallelujah. Max Lucado, he's an author, pastor, I, most people know him in the religious world anyway. He told this story, and I think it would be an excellent illustration of what we just read in Matthew 25. He said a famous basketball player attended his first service one Sunday morning. And uh, if I mention his name, you know him, but I'm not here to bring him any glory. But he's a seven-foot-plus guy, so when he walks in somewhere, he's noticed. Well, he attended his first service. He said he wasn't a member, but he attended every now and then when he was in town. And his schedule allowed it. And he said, you can't imagine the stir that occurred when he walked in that auditorium. And then at the end of the service, people literally mobbed him. 
They got out of their seats. They surrounded him. They wanted to touch him, talk to him, get his autograph. Uh, they, they wanted to be noticed by him. And finally, after all the excitement settled down, and he went his way, and they began the second service, just as he stood up to make announcements, a homeless person walks in the back of the auditorium. This is a true story. And he came down the center aisle with his backpack, ratty jeans, torn t-shirt, his face unshaven, dirty, and he had a distinct odor about him. Almost sounds like a shepherd. He walked down to the front of the church and sat down. And the contrast, uh, the pastor said, was uh, of the two visitors that struck him in a special way. He said when the famous basketball player entered, he was immediately swamped. People wanted to talk to him, touch him, be close to him. But nobody jumped up to sit next to the homeless man. And finally, after two or three awkward minutes, one of the elders, you know, the brother El the brother Daryl of the church, or maybe a Gracie of the church, or one of a compassionate people, somebody that could understand him, went and sat down next to him and touched him on the shoulder and welcomed him to the church. I mean, that's probably a touch that homeless guy hadn't felt in a long, long time. But here's my point. This is how it ties in with our passage of Scripture. If you want to touch Jesus, I mean, if Jesus walked in here right now after we got over the shock and the awe of everything, we'd surround him like that basketball player. And we'd want to touch him, and we'd especially want him to touch us. And so... Don't tell me you wouldn't want to touch the Lord, because I know you would. If you don't want to touch the Lord or be touched by him, then I'm going to see you after church. We're going to talk. We're going to get you saved. <laughs> but this is my point, you know. How does it tie in with this passage? If you want to touch Jesus, who do you touch? Jesus said, when you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. You want to touch Jesus? Touch one of them. Touch a homeless person, an addict, uh, somebody that's poor, somebody that's sick, somebody that doesn't have anybody. Touch them and you touch the Lord. So we should reach out and touch the people that no one else wants to touch. Nobody wanted to reach out and touch a shepherd. Nobody wanted to reach out and touch uh, the sick or the poor or the misfits or the rejects. Nobody wanted to touch them. But this guy got out of his seat, walked over, sat next to him, put his hand on his shoulder and touched him and welcomed him. And you know, uh, we can find special purpose for our lives by reaching out and touching people that need to be touched. And I preached a long time ago about the value of a touch. You, I, we don't have time to get into it now, but you can't uh, even put a value on a touch at the right time for the right reason. It means more than anything else in the world to that person if you touch them in the right way at the right time. But you know, it doesn't always have to be a physical touch either. We can seek out the untouched and touch them by contributing to organizations like we support, like Dare to Care, that feed the down and the out. They feed thousands of people every week. 
or uh, we can touch people through recenter ministries who uh, house and minister to the homeless and bring reform to the addicts. We're touching them by reaching out to them, even though it's a financial contribution, it's a touch that they can feel. And you can pay, pay for someone's groceries at the grocery store. Buy someone a tank of gas. Maybe just pay for the car behind you in the McDonald's drive-thru. There's a lot of different ways to touch the untouched. And God will lead you to these people, and he never gives preference to any group or social class or status. Padawak told me about the time, I, I probably don't remember the whole story, but he told me about the time that the Lord led him to pay for the person's meal or whatever that was behind him in the drive-thru. And he said he struggled with it and almost didn't do it because the person behind him was well-dressed and sitting in a Mercedes. But he did it anyway. He paid for that guy's meal. And you know, there's plenty of rich people out there that need a touch from God. I, I would venture to say there's just as many rich people out there needing a touch from God as there is poor people that need a touch from God. And God never discriminates on the basis of intelligence or education or wealth or profession or position or power or social standing. None of that means anything to God. You might be a big wig down here. You might be rich down here. But when you feel as the rest of us, that all you can get, get to heaven and say, well, I was a big CEO of a company, God. And God will say, so? He don't care about that kind of status. What did you do for me? What did you do for my people? How many did you touch in my name? How did you help the people with your position? As the angel declared to the overlooked shepherds, he said, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, rich and the poor alike. He said, Jesus is the savior in this day in the city of David, he's being born. He's a savior of equality. He'll save anybody that comes to him. He'll heal anybody that comes to him. You don't have to impress him with social status or your position in life. That don't impress, nothing impresses him. Maybe a humble heart. You remember the food drive we helped Gen Care Senior Medical Center with where Mike works? You know, we prepared all them bags uh, to give to the poor and the elderly and the rejected and the sick and all of those at, at Thanksgiving, uh, all together, they made up 400 and some odd bags of food that they literally hand, handed to elderly people that were members of the center, and then even some that they went out and delivered them to their houses. They touched Jesus that day. And that's why, I, that's what I love about his company and the people that he works with. They, they reach out and they connect with the hungry and the sick and the untouched and the most ignored people of our society, uh, which is the elderly, and they do it every single day. They're so full of compassion and love for those, the elderly people. They need to change the name of Gen Care Senior Medical Center 
to Gen Care Senior Medical and Health Center because that's what they do for these people, is they help them. And, and they don't discriminate uh, because of age or condition or if they don't have transportation, they'll send a Uber to get them. If they need food, they have a, a place right there in the center where they can go and get themselves a little bag of groceries, some fresh fruit and maybe some vegetables, some a box of mashed potatoes or something. There's always something there. If they don't have it, they'll go to Kroger and get it for them. And, and uh, there's times when they hear th stories about uh, some of the seniors that are in their center or are related to people that are a member of their center and they'll take up a collection, a personal collection amongst all their employees and they'll meet the need of that person. They fixed electric wheelchairs, they pay for exterminators to go in the house and exterminate bed bugs and things like that in the, in the house because of the poor woman come in with bed, uh, bed bug bites all over her body and they would take care of those needs. They're reaching out and touching the untouched. They're touching Jesus. Hallelujah. And there's a lot of people that God wants us to reach out and touch. And they're being ignored because they don't meet with society's expectations. They don't measure up to the expectations of the culture in which they live. And therefore, they're like the shepherds. They're rejected, and they're ostracized, and they're ignored, and passed by all the time. God wants us to touch those. So I don't know about you, but this really opened my eyes in a special way where, uh, in addition to what I do now, I'm going to make a special effort after today to connect with these people, the untouched, the misfits, rejected, the poor, the hungry, and do more than what I've been doing. And do more than what we've been doing as a church even, as we're allowed to do it anyway. And uh, I want to make a difference in somebody's life because I really, I know for a fact, I really want to touch Jesus. I know that. And uh, I, he's already touched me. I know he wants to touch me. So, you know, how am I going to do it? By touching one of his brothers and sisters that need a touch. And he said, I tell you the truth, when you do it to one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. So, uh, you know, this would have been a good New Year's message, I guess, because, you know, what, what should we focus on in the new year? Let's focus on touching the untouched. Let's focus on touching Jesus. That should be our primary objective as a Christian, is to just want to touch Jesus. And I just told you how we could do it. Amen? So let's, let's make that a focus point for this upcoming year. And, and let's see what we could do in addition to what we're doing now and do it better. And I don't know, you know, I would love to hook up with uh, Gen Care Medical Center. And, uh, of course, Mike will tell us anytime they got something going on, maybe hook up with them. You know, if they get a clothing drive or a food drive or something like that going, we hook up with that and help. We may not know them, 
uh, elderly people that they minister to, but they're still God's children. Uh, just because they're not in this particular community here, and they're in another community, and you know, well, maybe another church should be serving them. No, well, if they need help, I don't care where they're at. If we have opportunity, we should help them. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, thank you for this word today. God, it's been a revelation to me. I pray it's been a revelation to everybody that's in here. I hope they start seeing things in a different light. I mean, that's the whole purpose of you coming into the darkness was to bring light. And Lord, I believe you brought light in this area for sure tonight, today. And just like those lonely shepherds out there in the field that night, when that light shone around about them, it got their attention. Lord, you got our attention today. Father, we want to reach out and touch you. Like the old song, reach out and touch. Some, or maybe it was a phone commercial, AT&T or Bell South or something. But reach out and touch somebody. Lord, that's what we want to do is reach out and touch somebody. But we want to touch them with your hand and with your purpose and with your compassion and love. And Lord, help us to make a difference to those that we come in contact with. And Lord, we pray for those that were victims of this recent tornado. I know it's fading in the news, but Lord, it's still just as real as it was two weeks ago when it happened. We know that there's still people suffering. There's, if that house was blown over two weeks ago, it still ain't rebuilt. I know that there's people that have needs and things, Lord. Move on our heart to help them. Lord, we pray that every need they have is met, and we also pray that you give us the opportunity to meet it. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Uh, I wanted to bring that up. Uh, Pastor and I are contributing to help them. Uh, don't get nervous. I ain't going to take off on that now. But we, we've been uh, wanting to contribute and help, and there's so many organizations out there. And, you know, which one do you trust? Which one don't you? And, uh, we're going to, we're using. Uh, Mark Barkley Ministries, you may know him because we went to his meetings before. And uh, Kenneth Copeland, you can uh, go to his website and make a contribution. They can be trusted. 100% of the contribution goes to helping the people. It's not like some of the other organizations where they take out administration costs and this and that and salaries. And uh, I don't know what the actual people in need get. Maybe they wind up with 50% of your contribution. but uh, they guarantee that 100% of what you give will go directly to the help. And I know a lot of people help with material things, water, clothing, food. They say they don't need any of that stuff right now. If you want to help, you want to make a contribution, do it monetarily so that as the needs arise, they can just go out and buy the things that they need uh, because right now they're overwhelmed with stuff, which is a good thing, you know, that... Uh, people responded so well that they're overwhelmed and uh, some of the churches that were receiving the, the food and the water and the clothing and stuff, they're overflowing. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. They'll, eventually, they'll find needs for all of that stuff, but they're saying the thing they need the most now is money. So if you want to send, send, send anything, send money. It's, you know, it's, the only thing you have to worry about is size because the color is always right. You just have to worry, is, this, is it the right size? <laughs> Will it fit the need? Amen.
This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.